Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. Seems like this side is like more weighted than this side. Is there something wrong over here? Is this just the easier path? You know, sometimes we just take the easier path. If you come over here, this is where all the stuff's happening. Amen. No, we are just honored and blessed to be here. This is family to us. And, you know, you, you talk about the Christian church and family and Christians, but when you find family around the world, it really is something that just cannot be measured. So we just so appreciate you guys. Greg has influenced my life and... Uh, Sherry, as we've gotten to know her over the years, of just the impact on our and on our home, and I think we came for us, not to do an infomercial, but just to be blessed by you, and we have greatly. Um, I'll share a little bit about what's going on, um, but I want to get into the message because I came because you guys are on God's heart this morning, Amen. and so we just want you to know, just take everything we got, just suck it all out. So it's all yours. I want to talk this morning about influence and the power of grace because grace, grace does something that is so radical and you guys have experienced it. You've hear, you hear about it, but there's another aspect of grace that takes us into a place of power where influence happens. And I want you to see this this morning, and, and before I get into what we're doing, I want to open to Psalm 23. I grew up with this psalm more about what happens at funerals <clears throat> than what happens in life. But Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So we hear that and we're like, oh, thank God, this weight of life and all this stuff happening. <sighs> rest, right? But have you noticed once your heart starts coming into rest, there's something that starts, okay, now what? There's this now what? And it's like, okay, but I don't want to get into works and just try to make something happen. But there's something kind of stirring. It's like, how do I let that out? But be in rest and be in grace and, and mm, what's happening there? And Paul discovered it and it took him into a place that we can't fathom. Like, oh my gosh, look what Paul went into. He didn't look at it that way. Because something just was stirring and he couldn't sit because he was at complete rest. And it says in Psalm 23, so he does this first. So this is like walking. You discover his love. You discover his grace. You discover your righteousness. You discover you're free from the works of the law. You, you discover these things. But then it says he leads you in the paths of righteousness. Yes. And it's not reading Proverbs. <laughs> I did that once, and I had to go back to the land of restoration because it's like, don't measure here. Wrong. I mean, you just... Not, they, it's hard. I mean, not getting there. But when I discovered that this was Jesus' revelation of himself, then it started saying what was happening on the inside, this is the emergence of what you are. And so all of a sudden, Proverbs started taking on. So he leads us in these paths of righteousness, and when the righteous rule, the people are at peace. 
And it's not referring to let's go re elect a pastor or let's go elect a righteous person. It's, it's not your election to get someone else to stand in your place that you were designed for. Amen. This is about you stepping into your righteousness and the influence around you. People are rejoicing. Go ahead, Mother Gwen. You come on up here and break it down for me. Here's a, I feed off you. So we see this. Cause you know, Jesus, Jesus said he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we've been spectators to that. But he's not talking about kings of nations. He's over you. So the only people in his family are kings and lords. Ponder that one for a while. Psalm 23. So he leads us in these paths of righteousness, who you are, what you are, for his namesake. Not because he's trying to save his name because you're wrecking it. You didn't wreck his name. He's saying for his namesake because you've taken on his name, so he wants to make sure you understand all the privileges of his name. We sat in Thailand and they saw the government signs a contract with us that we are responsible for all the juveniles going through the probation system that they have to go through our program. And it gave us access to the government's information, their time, their resource. See, I had a piece of paper and their name gave me access to everything. In his namesake. So when we discover what his name stands for, and this throne and this kingdom, this morning we were talking about the throne, we have no capacity to understand what a king is. Because we live in a place we vote everything. Do you know in a, in, a, in a kingdom, you don't vote. You don't vote. You don't have your opinion. Because quite honestly, it doesn't matter. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's the king's. And he'll tell you when to have an opinion. That's called a kingdom. So why do we argue with his opinion? Amen. We've got to quit arguing with his opinion. So he goes on and says, I'm going to lead you in these paths. And he says, Yea, though... Yes, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, we get all caught up in that. When you're walking with him, you don't notice the valley of the shadow of death. You, you don't notice. Me and my wife have looked back. Praise God. When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. She has been. She's awesome. She's awesome. And I am what I am because she tells me that I am. Amen? <laughs> You know, there's Jesus, your wife, and then everything else, right? And she's the filter. If I don't get it quite right, she, she brings the clarity of what God's actually saying about the matter. And you just answer, yes, ma'am. So you, you have this, so Jesus goes on and says, or uh, David goes on and says, so you walk through this valley. It, oh, back to this. So we, we went through these moments. <laughs> That it was hell. But we didn't know it because we were so walking in this grace of what God was saying. But when we go back and look, we're like, I never want to go through that again. But you're in the middle of it. You're, you're not in that. But you are. 
And if we step into this path that he's walking, because all of a sudden his rod and his staff are comforting me. You see, because our God is so merciful and loving and compassionate, but he's also a warrior and the God of the Lord of the angelic hosts of armies. He is something that is embattled towards you and for you on behalf of you. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He didn't come to passively kiss and plead, can you please leave? He came to destroy something and set up a kingdom and take his children and raise them into this thing for you to rule and reign. And then he did something that he didn't just, see the elder had the blessing. But Joseph's father, Jacob, saw something different and changed the pattern. And now the younger will get the greater than the elder. Why did he do that? So greater works you could go do than he did. Amen. We're almost to the message here. So he said, but I love this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've seen them in action. I've watched them work on my behalf. I've watched them protect me. And now as I'm going through, my mind is on who you are and where we're going. You see, he wants to bring you to a place of the honor because it says in Proverbs, the, the glory of children is their father. And the crown of the father is the children's children. So you see, if you want to make his crown great, the more children come in, the crown gets greater. And our glory is the Father. So then he says this, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. See, he wants to bring honor, but he doesn't do it by the calm, smooth stream. He wants to bring it out and showcase you right in the presence of everything that's been against you, sit you down in the table of influence and say, deal with it. Because favor is not fair. I am his favorite. Amen. Because we're all brought into that favoritism for those who believe. But it's not fair. Some will say, well, why is that working for you? Well, it's just favor. Well, that's not fair. You're right. So deal with it, or let me show you how to have it. Favor's not fair. So he leads us, and then he anoints our head with oil, and our cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our, our life. Why is this important? Because he takes us from this place of rest, and then all of a sudden something starts growing. So he takes us in the path of rulership, of what it looks like to rule and reign, and he brings you through places that you've never ventured before. Because there's a table on the other side to present you in the presence of your enemies. Psalm 23. And so when we start looking at what God is wanting to do in our lives, it brings us complete rest. And I, I found... God has opened up such influential places for us. And I shared a little bit this morning, but I want you to know you need to take heart because this is what God put into us. This is the influence, but we've looked to something else. Well, when I get there, then I could be there. So I'm going to prepare to get there. And in that preparing to get there, you've denied what he's already given. Because we don't prepare to get there. 
We live in here, and that's the preparation for there. But it's in here is when you start enjoying the journey. It's in here. When the journey is enjoyed, the destination is just the bonus. You know, I'm not trying to just get it to heaven. Soon this, this whole thing will be over, and I'll finally get to heaven. Bless God. And there's some beliefs that still exist, shocking enough, that we're just going through all this, so we'll love God. Then we'll trust him. Then we'll believe in him. And then when you get to heaven, you won't want him anymore because you have no problems. So God would have to actually make heaven hell in order for us to keep loving him. Do you realize that, that we get into the ridiculousness of thinking only because we've been lost in a place of wrong position? You know, if I'm sitting underneath the water, I have a whole different perspective than when I'm on top of the water. Amen? So, our view of the Father changes. Well, let me just say this before I get there. Every time you hear me say Father, it's always the Father, the Father, the Father. I'm not Jehovah Witness, all right? The only way to the Father is to know Jesus. He is the model, the example, our Savior, our Captain, the Lord, the King, never changes. Because you can't separate the Father from Jesus. And the power and the indwelling and the gift that creation longed for up till Jesus came was the infilling of the Holy Spirit so we could walk in the power, the identity, and the confidence of the relationship that's been given. So when I'm talking about Father, there's no separation of the three. It's one and the same. Just thought I'd throw that out so then I can go back to talking about the Father. Because Jesus is not being cheated in the process. It's all about him. His name means everlasting Father. Now, when Jesus came to the earth, the first thing he did was not sell us a new belief system. The first thing he did, he didn't even convince you to believe what he had to say. He wasn't a salesman. The first thing he did was enter your world to show how much he cared about your world so he could then persuade your heart that you would accept to come into his. That's what he did. And so the, his influence on the heart of man persuaded them to be open to believe. Yes. So my job is to persuade people by the same actions that happen towards me that a person's heart could be open to receive the salvation that Jesus provided. I just don't have to save them. Because once the heart's persuaded, the Father has full access into that place. So influence is what we do. We influence See, influence is greater than money. It says, Proverbs says, pursue favor rather than riches. Why is that? Because we believe if we have enough, then we can do enough. And it's a faulty thinking. Because once you start buying it, you got to keep paying for it. And if you have to keep paying for it, you got to figure out how it's going to come. And if you have to keep figuring out how it's going to come, you're going to lose sight of the whole reason you did it to begin with. But if you have favor, the favor influences something that actually brings the resources to continue the favor. So we have found the government cares for us. The Thai Buddhist government promotes the gospel now. The Thai Buddhist government is the promoters of the gospel because we choose to love one individual one individual 
that did not fit the profile of what was going to advance us into what we were trying to do. She was at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing and had no relevance to what we were doing, and it absolutely changed the whole course of what we do. Because favor isn't fair. And she got it. She got the favor, saw something in us, her husband comes along, the next thing you know, we're in the place in government doing the thing we're doing because this little lady at the laundromat discovered the love of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a much funner way to do things than all the work we were trying to do for three years, pounding the doors, knocking on the doors, how can we do this? How, hey, we want to serve, we want to serve, we want to serve, look at us, look at us, look at us, and no one cared. But when they see something and the heart is touched, they become your biggest advocates. We have an Indian Sikh who provides our office space in Thailand. How did that happen? Because we gave ourselves to a bunch of young men inside of the prison. They decided to take the word of God and discover what they were in their identity. They go and take this soccer team that has never done anything. They win in the north northwestern part of Thailand. They take their team and they go down to Bangkok. They win the national title, go into it, or the, came second in the national title, was able to go play in another tournament, and took second in that nationally. And they said, who are these guys? And says, well, they're part of this Mission 300 program. And the Indian Sikh from northern Thailand says, happens to be the guy who owns our office space. Well, they close our office space. You know, whenever you hear bad news, I think you just need to take a breath. Maybe something's actually trying to help you. So just take a breath. Bad news. Okay. Maybe it's just something you've never experienced before, so it seems like bad news. Just a thought. So all of a sudden, the bad news happens. They're getting rid of our office space. Ah, oh, it's really a drag. We're connecting with a lot of people. We really like this space. But, say, but we'll, we'll let you move into the bigger office. Well, we're not paying that. It was just ridiculous, and it wasn't worth the price. And they said but don't tell anybody you don't have to pay that price because we're going to charge you less than what you're paying for these little tables. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Because the owner of the building loves what you do and wants to make sure you can keep doing it. Hmm. Amen. What did we do? We loved a little woman at the laundromat. That's it. What was right in front of us was not ignored. Because how often do we just skip over the thing that's not really taking us to our destination and we start skipping and we move around and we're like, oh God, you put this into my heart. So then we lift our eyes and we start looking and we ignore everything that's sitting around us. Just remember, when Moses got to the Red Sea, pretty big deal, wouldn't you agree? You got a million people behind you, an army coming from them, and you have an ocean. For some of you, that may be a challenge. For other of you, it's no big deal. But I would say this would probably be something that would be monumental in experience. There's no bridge, there's nothing, and we have a bunch of people that can build clay blocks, but how are we going to get all those to line up in the water? <laughs> in time before the Egyptians. So Moses, in all confidence, stood before the people. Just be quiet. I'll be okay. And then he turns to God and said, so what are we going to do? <laughs> And God says to him, why are you crying to me? Ponder that for a moment. Why are you crying to me? 
What is in your hand? Raise the stick and part the sea. You see, the question should have been, how do we go about this? Not, what are we going to do? And it all came back to, okay, you gave me this, you gave me this. What, walk me through the process. Different question than saying, what are we going to do? You need to do something quick. Save us. You're it. You're the Savior. Do something. We, we, we have to come into this place because when grace Grace is power, and the word power is also authority. But our culture has no authority concept. We sign contracts and then need four attorneys because it's going to get broken. We don't have a concept of words. We don't have a concept of if the king declares it, it's done. So we struggle and we barter with God and we see what he says and then we go back to him. And I, I'm not saying you're doing something wrong. People don't... I don't condemn you because we're all walking through this journey. We just have to have some baselines of truth, of what truth is. He is a king. He has a judicial system. He has a kingdom. His word means something. And when he declares his word, you can't break the word. We argue with it. We talk to it. It's like me telling my child, Lauren, go clean your room. So four hours later, she comes back and she's done the theological study on the word clean. And she's done the, and she called six friends. She started a small group. She started a Bible study. And she comes to dad, I really have a full concept of what you meant by clean the room. And we walk in her room and it's still a mess. Why didn't she just clean the room? I didn't fully understand what you were saying. But sometimes, I'm not talking about real, we, we don't take this too complex, but there's simple things God says, listen, I want to show you something, and he speaks to our heart, and you know God talked to you. Then you go talk to nine other people to validate whether God was talking to you or not, and by the time you're done, a Bible study started. <laughs> and that's okay that the Bible study started, but let's start on the fact that he's true to his word, not on the fact, can we even understand what he's saying? Was that? We're loving, right? Okay, okay. You see, I'm under the authority of the Reether family here. And he's trusting my words, but I'm still getting validation to make sure. We're not going to revoke this on the next trip back. Joshua 1.18 says, who, the, the people are saying this about jo Joshua before he goes in the land. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command, him shall we put to death. Only be strong and courageous. <laughs> I know that's Old Testament, but I need you to understand the power of words. When you, have, when you have people give their word, you might as well kill them if they break their word. Because you couldn't separate the word from the person. We separate words from people. Words really mean nothing. So it makes it hard when we go forward. The one thing I told our director when we started our programs, he goes, you know, sometimes people don't show up. He goes, it doesn't matter. You are there every time. You do everything that you said you were going to do, and you never change. You don't change because of them. And pretty soon, loyalty started happening. 
Now there's a couple times we needed to cancel and they go, no, you can't cancel. This is what we do. See, we created something. The, the words matter. Our behavior matters. Not in this, now not in condemning, guys. We're all growing in this, right? All right? I'm just saying there's a place that if we allow the grace of God, it starts emerging out of you. And you're like, what is this? It's God speaking. He's walking you in these paths, and it's natural, like you want to. Amen? See, Jesus taught as one with authority in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It all says he taught like with, not like the scribes, but as one with authority. In other words, when he said, I only do what I see my father do, he, he took those words, adopted them in, and spoke them as if they were his. I think I talked about that last time I was here. He talked as if they were his words. Because once you're given a word, that also comes with the authority to execute that word. So it's not a promise of hope. Well, he promised this, and I pulled my little scripture out of the little, the little bread, plastic bread thing for the day. Got my promise for the day. You, you can believe that, but believe it. In other words, that's my promise for today. And now your whole day, you're executing. Nope, this is what it says. Nope, this is what it says. Nope, this is what it says. See, you're walking in authority because you're given a word. I don't really recommend the, the bread thing. I'm just using it as illustration. If that's where you're at in life, take that and just start doing it. Amen? So I want to take a look um, about, some, about a character in the Old Testament because I think we've lost grace in the Old Testament because we've not looked at it from the perspective that it was written. It was designed to be a picture and an example of who we are. And I want you to see what happens when influence happens and how it changes somebody and what happens to a community when someone receives influence and takes the word of influence and begins influencing others it's powerful and it says this in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 and 31 by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days by faith the harlot Rahab, how would you like your name in history? <laughs> Very distinguishing. Hi, I'm the harlot Herod, or Rahab, nice to meet you. <laughs> By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now there is a picture here that is so powerful that first of all, it should change your view of God. Number one, in Joshua chapter, one, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun, doesn't mean he didn't have parents, it's N-U-N. He was the son of someone, Nun. The son of Nun sent out two men to the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So you have to understand, these two spies are going out in the name, because remember the verse I just read before, if they don't obey, we'll kill them. So they're going out in the authority of the word that was given to them. Joshua is taking the authority of the word given to him. The spies are going in the authority of the word given to them. So they're not going, okay, and I hope it turns out. They're going as if they are Joshua. You see the difference? When the disciples went out in pairs, they went out as if they were Jesus going out. And they came back going, oh my gosh, the, the, every... Your name works, like the demons tremble, people are getting healed, it's, it's amazing. And Jesus said, don't marvel 
that the demons in hell are afraid of you. Marvel that your name is written in, the, in heaven. And it doesn't mean that we've just been scrolled into a book. It means that you are known in heaven. Marvel that you are known in heaven. You're written there. You're on the Christmas list. And he's not worried about the naughty. So Joshua 2 verse 1, so we have these spies go in and they stop at the house that they're going to get the most information from. See, sometimes people think, well, you don't understand my world, what I'm trying to get out of. It's bad, but you don't understand what you do know right there. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes we keep looking for the out versus saying, okay, what do I have right around me? What is right around me? There was some influence and power right around this woman that she had never noticed before until the spies came. She knew everything about everything. In that She had the blacklist on everybody. She knew. If you don't know, ask your, your spouse. All about that. There's children here. So anyway, she knew everything. And so... When she came into the house, something happened with this woman, though, because these two men represented Joshua, which represented God. And she had a fear of God because it says um, later on, well, I'll get there, but she had a fear of God. And so when these, these men came in, she saw something different. They didn't come to take advantage to strip dignity from her. They came to bring something. They brought honor to her. They didn't try to take something that would cheapen her, but they brought something that valued her. She saw something different in these two men. So she hid them. They promised her nothing. They said nothing that they were going to do for her. She hid them. But see, she had a choice to make because the next verse says, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, remember the, another king, said, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out our country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, funny, it's like that's the first person they send to. If anybody's going to know, she's going to know. See, everybody went to her because she knew everything. She's a person of influence. So the king, so bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So the woman took the two men, hid them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened at the gate was being shut when, the dark, when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, and you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. You see, if we take a picture here, she took a belief in her heart, made a place for it, and hid it. She took one word, but she had, in order to receive the word from the Father, you're going to have to despise the word from the enemy. You can't have both. Because the moment she gave in to the one, it would compromise the other. Because the deal was off with the spies. Now, thank God for his mercy. Now, as you're re listening to this, you've been redeemed into a new place. 
He is journeying you through this process. My children, I love them to pieces. They know they're deeply loved, but they don't always do exactly what I say to do. And I didn't kick them out. I didn't even threaten them. Even when I joke about it, they just go, oh, Dad. They know me. That's the place you're in. This is not the case for these people. So the men pursued, and so it came in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I want you to just hear this. You see, something was stirring in her heart already that I am convinced these spies were led to this woman. Because there is something about a heart that's open attracts an answer. Because Jesus said, whoever calls on me will be saved. Whoever. But there has to be a man or a woman that goes to go say it. So he finds a way to get that person and that message or whatever it is to that person to answer that question. So your question comes, well, how about those people in the other part of the planet who don't know anything? God finds a way. Every heart that cries out, there's an answer that comes. He is faithful. Someone will go do it. Amen? So these, these, she says to them, she goes, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now I want you to catch this. The, everyone knew the miracles that were taking place. This city was shaking in its boots. They were terrified of the God of Israel that parted the Red Sea. They were terrified of the armies that were destroyed in Canaan, or in the wilderness. Terrified. But she is the only one that looked at mercy in this God. The others went to fear. So we're going to wipe them out, any possibility. We're going to destroy any ability for them to even try to come here, and maybe we could stop it. But that was not this woman. You see, when your heart's been persuaded... And I am convinced that the spies that came in were the icing on the cake to a persuasion. And it also shows that the God of the Old Testament was not looking to destroy people. He was looking for people to believe. And anyone that would, he would shake heaven and earth to save them. So she said, and the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are fate-hearted because of you. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the, red, the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted, neither did there remain any more courage. You need to ponder this. The promise that's been given to you in the word that's been spoken and the miracle of your life being changed by Jesus Christ has caused the enemy to tremble. But look at how they're responding. They're throwing up every attack possible because they're in outright fear. Yes. And we've become afraid of them in their, in their torment. Yes. Wow. And then it goes on in verse... So he is the God, she, she goes, he's the God of heaven and earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me See, when you get an invitation into an authority's presence, the moment you have the invitation, you have the right to a request. If the king of Thailand invites me into his court, I have the right to request. When Esther was getting ready to go before the court, her fear was whether he would raise the staff or not. But once he allowed her to come, she had the right to request. Yeah. 
The only thing the king may do is put a limitation of what I can do with the request. As we see with uh, Herod and his dancing daughter, who said, well, you can have up to half the kingdom. There was a limit to what? But the moment you get the presence of the king, you have the right to the request and the access to the answer. But once you receive the request and the answer, which has already been given, you have the authority to execute the request. So Esther was nervous to go before the king, but once she received the request, she became the most powerful woman in all the land because she could execute the word and we lose sight of that because our contracts mean nothing to us today our words mean nothing to us today they're just words there's no character behind them they're just words but when we look at the core of what God was saying about who he is I can't swear by anybody else so I swear by myself and I can't violate my word so we destroy the character of God himself when we challenge that he can do what he said he can do. So then he goes on. She said, I beg you to show kindness to me and my father's house and give me a token. Spare my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She didn't just say, save me. She said, okay, by the way, here's the list. And they, basic, and they said, you put the red ribbon in the outside. You don't speak a word of what we've just done, and your request will be honored. Now, in Hebrews, it says that faith, the walls of Jericho fell down when they were encircled for seven days. Right? We knew when they walked around, the walls would fall down. But here's what's interesting. Rahab's house is on the side of a wall. Her belief in the goodness of this God that was great and the trust in the word that was promised to her caused her house not to even be touched by the walls falling down in a city that's being destroyed utterly. You see, she stepped into authority. She didn't step into like a hope and a, a wondering. She immediately went and got everyone that would come to her house. So what did she become? The voice. You need to come, you need to come, you need to come, you need to come. Quick, 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 get in the house, get in the house, we'll be saved. Get in the house, get, we'll be saved. She's walking in the same authority that the spies were walking in. And she began influencing the hearts of her family to come. Now I want you to see this. Joseph goes along. And by the way, in verse 20 when she said, and according to your words, so be it. By the way, that's what amen actually means. It means sealed, done, stamp the seal, it's a legal document, finished. Amen is a powerful thing that we can do. My aunt used to say she loved that word because she's always looking for a man in church, so she always loved singing amen. <laughs> you had to grow up in my household. So just... <laughs> We have a definite Greenwood humor that's not always that funny to anybody on the outside, but we laugh at ourselves. So Joshua chapter 6, we see this whole thing gets destroyed, right? They walk around, we see this miracle. Verse 17 of chapter 6, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. So now this is Joseph. You see, once the spies made a decree, he didn't come back to Joseph and Joseph say, No, I'm not honoring that, that's your deal. That's your word. You go deal with that. I already told you what I'm going to do. I'm destroying the whole city. 
No, once the representative of that word went out, it became a decree all the way back. Joshua honored it, God honored it. But see, the spies didn't go and pray whether they should ask that request or not, did they? They were the representatives of the nature of Joseph and God. So they acted in authority and gave the authority for it to happen. And now it had to be honored all the way back. You see, when you're given a word of authority that God has spoken to you, you can stand firm on that and say it doesn't matter because now God will honor it even if you're being ridiculous at times. Because he gave you the power. He'll guide you through that, though. And we're going to get into some examples of where do we go from here. Because this is kind of a big concept here. So he says this. So they go around, they shout. Verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joseph sent. Now, this is what's really important. Influence. When we look at influence, sometimes we see, oh, wow, this, this happened. This was great. This is awesome. She had a miracle. She had the miracle saving. But she didn't look at it that way. See, she wasn't just saved. See, God doesn't deliver you from something. He delivers you to something. See, if I just remove your, 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 your bars and your chains, but I don't bring you into a different position that changes why you were there to begin with, I didn't save you. I made myself feel good. And God's not looking to make himself feel good. He's looking to restore you to the thing that will keep you from the chains coming back. So he didn't just take her and remove and save her in that problem as a token of thank you very much and a tip. Here's the tip. No, he took her and he said, now I'm going to make you into something different. But she no longer was the harlot. Because a man by the name of Salmon of nobility marries her. And out of her becomes the fruit of Jesus, the great grandmother of David. Why? Because she hid the spies. She hid a word that was so counter. She had to go against the kingly beliefs here. She had to go against her livelihood. She had to go against her reputation because even though she was a woman of reputation, she still had a reputation that made her powerful. She had to ignore all of that. You know, a lot of times our problems becomes our crutch. So we kind of rely on the problem because that's where we find our life. So you can remove that, but then you kind of leave us empty. Like, what are we supposed to do now? Because I trusted that. Like Bartimaeus, when he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When he stood up, he dropped his coat that identified him as a beggar and stepped into something else. But now he has to figure out, what am I going to do for a life? For 40 years, I've sat on a street corner. But that's not where God leaves us. He doesn't just leave, deliver us to leave us. Because that's almost as abusive. He delivers us, then brings us into the place designed for us. Right? He leads us in the paths of still waters. But if he stops there, it leaves us empty. He takes us on the paths of righteousness, and then he sits you in the seat and the presence of your enemy and anoints you and embarrasses you in what he is and his favor, where people cry out, that's just not fair. Well, that happened to you because of this. No, it didn't. It happened because I took the message of the spies and hid it. 
I hit it. And I love how she goes down in history. And I think she's known as Rahab the harlot, not out of dishonor, but out of honor to show I can take the things that don't exist and make them into something to do, because that's the God that I am. And we see grace flowing throughout the Old Testament. We see him seeking and searching for someone to just believe. But we've been challenged because we have so much noise. We have so much noise. Now I'm going to kind of switch gears just a little bit because that's the serious stuff, right? Okay, now we like, okay, yes. And then we always wonder about Monday morning. Right? Amen? Monday comes. Then we wait till Wednesday because Monday's Monday. And we're looking for some. So where do we go from here? And God's really been speaking to me. He's like, you guys don't have fun with me. Who do you call up on Monday when you're tired? Not someone who's going to be serious with you. You're not looking to deal with one more problem by the time Monday at 6 o'clock rolls around. You're looking for something that... Right? So we look for something to entertain us. We should probably choose better what's entertaining us, but we look for something to bring some joy, some, something, just a relief of the day. I asked a group of college students... I've asked this along several, several groups of people. What time are we done, by the way? Okay. I asked several groups of people, what, give me the name of the person that really inspires you. Who inspires you? Who, who draws something out of you? Who can you relate to? Who you really connect with that you want to be like? And they went around the room and mother, father, um, a youth leader, uh, um, a boss, a uh, you know, sometimes some greater person that's kind of beyond. But usually, we went around the room. I said, why'd you pick them? I said, well, we could relate to them. I said, so I need you to be honest with me because I know you all believe in Jesus. But was he on your top ten list? Well, no. And no one wants to answer because that just seems so blasphemous. Like, well, Jesus ain't really the guy that inspires me. But if you really sit in your heart, was he on your list when I started talking? Well, amen. But see, you've, you've discovered some things. Yes. And you have fun with them, because you're pretty fun. And he has to have fun if he's with you, because it's going to be fun at the end of the day. But if you watch what he did, he always went into someone else's world to engage them. See, he won their hearts first before he able to win them over to his beliefs. Heart always is before belief. Heal the brokenhearted, and then we believe. Right? I mean, I'm simplifying something. It can all happen right in the same moments, but it's if we break it apart. So the heart gets won. And I asked the students, I said, why do you admire these people? It's like, well, we can relate to them. We have fun with them. I've learned a lot from them. There's someone I can admire. They, they, they model it. And when we just really got down to it, so why doesn't Jesus do that? Well, he's kind of out there. I mean, we know he saves us, and we know we're going to heaven, and we want to praise and worship, and we want to do that, but, you know, he's out there. I said, why is he out there? I said, well, I mean, he's God. I go, You're, I'm sitting in a bunch of grace people, 
And that's what you're telling me. We don't even realize how these mentalities are drifted in. He's an authority, but not really a personal authority. Like, he's not right here. He's not like the guy knocking on your door collecting a bill. That's real. This is more of a word from over here that kind of... But it's not like this guy right here. It's not like the king's men knocking on the door and you're hiding two spies and you don't even know if they can save you or not. You don't even know what they're going to do for you. When we got done, I said, when have you had fun with Jesus? When have you had fun with him? And they just kind of looked at me and go, you know, like, how do you have fun with Jesus? Well, how do you have fun with a friend? So you really think about this. The thing that wins our heart isn't the great miracle. Because Jesus said, fed thousands, and they didn't, he said, yeah, they're coming, but they don't even believe in me, and they don't even believe in what I'm here for. They're just hungry. So that wasn't the thing winning their hearts. But what made the disciples believe? What made people connect with him on a different level? It was the daily things. And we've ignored the dailies of his enjoyment. Then when the big thing happens, he's so distant. But see, when my kids are, are with me all the time, I don't even have to say it and they already know what I'm going to be doing. And they know my strings to pull. They know my strings. They're just, Dad, yeah, I think we can go get um, something to eat. Yeah, do you think we can go get, you know, whatever the thing is? Well, Mom's in Colorado Springs, so I think so. No. <laughs> they know me. But then when there's serious matters, guys, we have to be doing this today. Okay, Dad. Why? A relationship has been built in this process. And so they trust me. They relate to me. There's confidence in me. And Jesus wants that because he shows us the way to the Father. He lived with these fishermen. I've been around a few fishermen. He lived with them daily, walked with them, talked with them. He does even great miracles around them. He's walking on water, and the guys in the boat are saying, oh my gosh, this must be the Son of God. He's been with you for two and a half years. <laughs> We're just now coming to that. But do you see? There was this, he knew he had to walk with them and relate to them and let them touch him and let them feel him. And I know what Joe, I know the, how we say with Thomas, well, it's better to believe and not see. I, I get that. But John wrote in 1 John, we bear witness of the one we looked upon, handled, touched the word of life. They had a daily experience with the Father that when issues came, they had confidence and trust. And when they went out in the daily and messed up, he'd walk back and laugh with them and say, okay. I don't know how long I have to be with you, but let's try this one more time, Thomas. <laughs> and he would walk them through it. And those weren't insults. They weren't degrading to them. It was family doing something together. We, we shared this with um, Pastor Joe up at um, Abundant Life Church in Brookings. And it was really awesome because he, he called back and he was getting ready to go on a fishing trip. And he goes, I'm, you know, he kind of said, you know, because he always goes out and pray, right? We're always talking to God. Guys, listen, this isn't like you're doing it wrong. Here's how you do it. This is, let's enhance this thing. Yeah. Let, let's take this to a different level. Yeah. Because I don't want to wait till crisis hits and then I'm trying to eagerly try to get this relationship so I can trust what he's saying to me. Oh. 
Now, thank God for his mercy there too because you have other believers around you and we can jumpstart each other. Hallelujah. There's a win no matter which way we go. Amen? Amen. But I'm just saying, there is a place that you can begin walking in on a daily basis that it's fun, that it's exciting. When we were walking this journey going, it was like that because when I thought about the future, that was overwhelming. And when I looked where we were coming from, that was overwhelming. And the ships were burned, so there wasn't going back, getting on and going another direction. There was just daily each day, but I'm going that way. And so, Pastor Joe, thank you, honey. Pastor Joe, he goes out fishing. So he said, God, where do you want me to fish today? Because he went and did it on his own, and that wasn't turning out too well. So God spoke to him. So I want you to go fish over there. So he's like, okay. You know, it's kind of, there's still a little bit of, okay, is this really real? Does it matter? See, it doesn't matter, but it matters to you. And that's where he wins our heart. Things that matter to you is where he wants to be involved first. Then you'll start wondering what matters to him. But we're trying to find out what matters to him, but we don't think it really matters to us, about us. Now, we know he loves us in this, but until it starts becoming something where our thinking and our, our day is, matters to him and he enjoys that, we'll become more endeared to what he likes. And then we find we're not much different. So he goes out and casts, and he caught a five-pound northern. That was great. So he got the, the fish, and he goes, okay, well, so where do you want me to go now? I said, over on the east side. So he gets his boat and goes to the east side of the lake, casts. They're like few, 10, 15 minutes. He goes, Brian, I caught two five-pounders. I've never caught two five-pounders in a day. So he caught another one. So then he goes, well, I'm getting about ready done to go fishing. So then he goes, God, where, where else? He goes, right over another place. So he stopped by there, caught another one. Wow. <laughs> See, favor just isn't fair. <laughs> Fisherman. But what was God doing? Was it trying to find a magic formula so now we can go win the lottery num numbers? Because now he knows the lottery. See, our heart isn't, we're still missing the point. He wants the relationship. He ain't going to give you lottery numbers because there's no relationship in lottery numbers. He's going to give you favor that's going to influence things, that's going to radically, permanently change, though you don't have to be in this place anymore. He's not going to give you something that keeps you in this place all the time. But we have to trust in the day. If you enjoy driving, if you enjoy a movie, if you enjoy a song, if you enjoy a concert, God, what do you like about this? Ask him about what do you like about the music? What's your favorite part? What do you see in this? What do you see? And all of a sudden these ideas start popping. And guess what? It puts you in your moment. And when you're in your moment, you see where you're to influence. And most likely, that is the place that launches you in the thing that God puts you to to begin with. Amen? Amen? I'm here to encourage you today that right where you're at, if we could take a harlot with all her baggage, can you imagine the baggage of that one? And then you're merging into a new culture that that's not a real fond idea? And you're going to be accepted and someone betroths you and takes you in and gives you a new name? She gets a new name. She gets a new authority. And she carries the bloodline of our Savior. The woman that was not of the promise. Because favor is not fair. She just dared to believe. Amen?
There is power in his favor. There is authority in his favor. But it comes from your position that you are the beloved child of God. And I promise you, when you start walking in his favor, you won't let ego get in the way. So just kind of let it all out. You'll find yourself more loving towards people, more ingracious towards people, because you're not trying to strive to be something. You're already there. Now your heart's open to give. It's a marvelous thing. But when he says it, he ain't going to change his mind. So if he calls you loved and righteous, you're not going to argue with him enough to get him to change his mind about it. Because then he would have to deny himself. And if the whole world is held together by his word of his power, we got a problem if he starts changing his mind. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amen.